It is always good to see you, and I do thank you for being present, those of you who are watching by live stream. Our scripture today is Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll read several verses that talk about the church. And by the way, if you, if you ever want to know about the church, you go to Ephesians, just six chapters, but there's so much in there, and it's written to the church, or maybe another way to think of it, it is written to the churches, and it gives us direction for how we're to live and for how we relate to one another, and it, and it tells us about growing in Christ and maturing in Him. If you were to ask the question, what does God want me to do as a part of the church, then immediately I would answer is to become like Christ, to grow into who he is and what he wants us to be. That's what this passage is about. It's about speaking the truth in love. And we're talking about the challenge of speaking truth in a world of falsehood, particularly speaking to our children and our parents and our friends and our co-workers and our neighbors. How do we do that? Let's look at Ephesians chapter 4. Paul was a prisoner in Rome, not knowing whether he was going to live or whether he was going to die. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling for which you were called. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And then he just kind of gives us some theology. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And then he looks back to the teaching of the Old Testament. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Now, Paul's going to talk about he who ascended and he who descended, and it's a reference to Jesus coming to earth, descending, and then after the resurrection ascending unto the Father. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave gifts. He gave apostles. He gave prophets. He gave evangelists. He gave pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. 
Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there in every kind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful schemes. In other words, we will be mature and God will give us all that we need and we will not be led astray. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, who is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Now, there are a lot of things that concern you in life. And there are a lot of things that concern you in America. And there are a lot of things that give you concern about the future. But may I make an assumption that nothing is more important than the people around you knowing Christ and living in truth in this world of tremendous falsehood. How is it that we speak truth? How is it that we stand for truth? And not just in the world as a whole, but rather in our little worlds, my wife, my children, my grandchildren, my in-laws, my neighbors, my friends, the people I work with, the people I go to school with, how do I speak truth into their hearts and how do I speak it in such a way that they hear it and receive it? Because we all know that it is easy to speak it in a way that turns people away. How do we bring people in? How do we help them? How do we speak the truth in a world of falsehood? Well, here's the good news. The Bible is filled with those answers. The Bible is found again and again to tell us of how we deal with just those scenarios. Because that's where Paul was. That's where Paul, what, what Paul was speaking to the church. In a few minutes, we'll look at some of those passages of Scripture where he tells us how to do this, where he tells us how to speak truth and how to stand for truth in the midst of a world of falsehood. Now, it is easy for you and me to look back and, and we just kind of make a judgment over 2,000 years of the Christian church. And we make the judgment that never has there ever been a time as hard as this. And that would be false. But if we were to say, in all of my life, however long that is, there's never been a time like this, I think we would be correct. Now, the 
the helpful news for us is that Paul went through everything that we've going through and more. And he stood for the truth. And Peter and James, who were also executed, and Stephen and James the Apostle, and so many others gave their lives standing for the truth and showing us how to stand for the truth in a world of falsehood and how to be faithful to God and how to spread the message of Christ into all the world. So what do we do? How do you help your relatives? How do you help them know Christ? How do you help them learn of him and and know that he is indeed the Son of God, and in that he came into the world to save sinners, to make us new people. How do we stand for the truth? So let me give you some suggestions from this passage of Scripture and from all of Scripture. Five things I would in- encourage you to do. The first one is, is self-evident. The first one everybody gets. The first one we all understand. Seek God, let God be your guide. Let God show you how to speak, what to say, and how to say it. And remember that what we are most concerned about is not the truth, but truth. Jesus is truth. To know him is to know truth. What we want to happen, what God wants us to happen, is that we know him. We we sang a few minutes ago, draw me nearer, nearer, Lord. And, And those words no doubt come from James. Draw near to God, he will draw near to you. They're found throughout Scripture that God wants us to know him and he wants to know us and he wants us to have this close personal relationship with him and that God equips his people with everything that they need. So seek God. Call upon him in prayer. Ask God to help you along the way. God, how do I speak? to my children, my my sons-in-laws, my my daughters-in-law. How do I speak to these people? How do I stand for the truth before them? One of the great things that you would would say, I would say is, seek God. Ask God how to do that. Ask him to give you the words to say. Ask him to open the door for you. Tell him, God, if you will open the door, I will walk through it in confidence, knowing that you are with me and that you want me to do just that. What we need is God. What we need is the presence of God. What we need is his power in our lives. The first thing that we need to do is to seek God. And we need to do the things that he tells us to do. When you look at these verses, what is he saying? 
about the church. Listen to this. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Have you been called? You've been called to be a a believer, a Christian. So live a life worthy of that calling. At the end of the sermon, I'm going to remind us again that God wants us to be obedient. And I'm going to remind us again that the only way that almost anybody ever sees Jesus is through us. Because most people don't read Scripture. Because most people don't pray. Because lost people do not have the Spirit of God working within them. And therefore, they have no way to know Christ other than what they see in us. And that should be a very humbling realization. And you and I need to pray, God, help me to live as you want me to live. Help my speech, help my attitude, help my actions, help my responses, help them to be that which is pleasing unto you. Listen to what else God says. God says, make sure that you live, that you are completely humble and gentle. He tells us to be patient. He tells us to bear with one another in love. This is the calling that we have. If people see love and patience and gentleness and humility in us, they will see Christ in us, and they they will be amazed at us, at how we've changed, of how we are different, and we will have the opportunity to show them Christ and what Christ can do in their lives. We must, if we're going to speak the truth, and if we're going to stand for the truth, it must all be based on God and His Word and what He has done in our lives. Seek God. A second thing is seek truth. Seek to know truth, know, know true theology, to know the truth about Jesus, to not just listen to what someone said, but to hear what is found in Scripture and to study the Word of God, and to seek to understand it so we can speak truth about Jesus. And not just what, maybe what we heard someone in the past, a, a grandparent or an uncle or an aunt or an influential person, what they said, but what does Scripture say? What does God call us to do? Seek truth. I, I've got several passages of Scripture I want you to look at. They're on your sermon sheet, but I want to Read them to you. Listen to what the Scripture says about truth. Psalm 25, the psalmist is speaking to God. He prays to God, Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God my Savior, 
And my, I love the way this is expressed, my hope is in you, O Lord, all the day long. In other words, you're the only hope that I have. It is in you. The psalmist is saying, God, guide me in to truth and teach me your way. That's the prayer we should have. God, I want to know you. I want to reflect you. I want to live for you. I want to serve you. Psalm 86, 11 says these words. Teach me your way, Lord that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart. What does that mean? It, it means, I mean, what is our heart like? Well, today is Sunday, and, and I'm focusing on God. I'm focusing on worship. I'm focusing on Scripture. I'm focusing on the things of God. But tomorrow is Monday, and school is coming, and work is coming, and my heart gets divided and I'm going in a different direction. So the psalmist prays, Lord, give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name, that I may reverence it, that I may exalt you and lift you up. I love the words of John 16, the words of Jesus Jesus said, it's good for you that I go away. And if I go away, the Father will send you the spirit of truth. Isn't it interesting? He wanted to remind us of that which pleases God and honors God and that calls us to live for him. And if we are open, we are filled with the Spirit, we will have the Spirit of truth within us, guiding us along the way, pointing us to God, helping us to follow the things of God. A third thing, we seek God, we seek truth, we seek courage. Because it's easy to be timid, to be afraid. It's easy to, to kind of to move into the background. It is difficult to speak truth. It is difficult to stand for the truth. So we, we have to seek courage. God told Joshua, be strong and courageous. Haven't I commanded you be very strong and very courageous as you stand for truth and as you lead the people of God? God calls us to to be strong, to be obedient, to live out the things of God. In Ephesians, a couple of chapters over from the passage that we read, here's what, here's what Paul said to the people of Israel, to the church of God, that we're to stand in the Lord. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes... We're not sure exactly what that day of evil is. In some sense, that day of evil is always coming. The day in which you are challenged, the day in which Christ is challenged, the day of which he is spoke evil of, the day of persecution, the day of tribulation. Put on the whole armor of God so when that day of evil comes, 
you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. You and I need to seek courage. I often pray that God would open a door for me. So when I tell you that, that I encourage you to do that, I, that is exactly what I do. I, God, would you open that door? Would you, would you let this person ask me the right question? Would you go before me? Would you give me that open door? And then, God, would you give me the courage to walk through it? We must seek courage so that we stand for truth and we are faithful and obedient in living for God and serving God. A fourth thing to seek is seek allies. We've talked about this before, but I want to give you a little bit of different way of seeking allies. Seek for those people. When Jesus sent his apostles out two by two, he told them to look for people of peace. Now think about that. Well, they are going to preach the gospel. They are going to cast out demons. They are going to heal the sick. And Jesus told them to look for people of peace. So you wonder, what is a person of peace? And I think a very common, a very practical way of looking at it, it's people whose minds and hearts are open. They're people who, who have shown a desire for righteousness, who still need to hear the fullness of God, but they're those who are open. Look for people of peace. Look for allies. Look for places where you may share the gospel. Jesus said not to throw our pearls before swine. Another hard passage. But it seems that what he meant was look for those people who are open to the gospel and help them to know. And then look for helpful ways to teach other people. Think of the things that we're told about how to do this. We, we often know, we're, we're often told, it's hard to argue somebody into the kingdom of God. We all know that. It's hard to convince because the, the more we tell them what they've got to do, the more, that more they bow their necks and tell us what they're not going to do. And it's not our, it shouldn't be our goal to win an argument. It shouldn't be our goal to be the winner in a debate. It shouldn't be our goal to get the last word. In our humanity, in our sinfulness, man, we want all of that. I want to have the last word. I just want to get to say what I want to say. But is that what you really want? Or is what you really want that you want your children to hear the gospel and to respond to it? And that you want your parents who have been resistant to the gospel all of your life and now can't figure you out, don't you want them to hear the gospel and accept Christ and be saved? 
Would you rather win the argument with your neighbor or would you rather win them to faith in Christ? So how do we do that? Well, Paul said, speak the truth in love, verse 15. And and there are basically two ideas for that verse. I think both of them are correct. So one of them we all get, speak the truth in love. Speak it with kindness and gentleness. Speak it in the way you would like it spoken unto you. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Speak the, speak the truth, but speak it in love so people will hear and respond. But when you go down to verse 15, what, what Paul is talking about is the church. He is talking about how we help the people around us grow in him, speak the truth in love, help them to know Christ, to live to Christ, for Christ, to honor him with all of their lives. Help us all to mature in him and to become like him. That's the goal of the Christian life, that I would become like Jesus, that I would love as he loves. Now you think about this. The next time you say, I just can't forgive. The goal of the Christian life is for me to forgive as Jesus forgave. The goal of the Christian life is for me to love other people in the way that Jesus loves them. The scripture is clear about this. We're to take on his life. It is his spirit that is to live in us and work through us that we are like him, but we speak the truth in love so that we may all come to the fullness and the maturity of Christ and that we as the church might be the living church of God that honors him and lives for him with all of our lives. What did Simon Peter say? Simon Peter said, always be ready to give a reason for the hope you have in Christ, but do it with gentleness and respect. What does the Bible tell us? Paul wrote to the church at Colossae, and here's what, he, here's what he said about that. He talked about how we live and how we respond to one another. Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Do you hear that? He doesn't just say act right toward outsiders, but be wise in the way so that you know how to answer everyone so that you know how to give an account of yourself before God I, I was mentoring and thinking about mentoring a young pastor not too long ago and I said if I were doing all this over again and I were 18, just barely 18, and the pastor of a church again, my first sermon would be, I am really young, and I don't know very much. But these are the things I know. 
Well, you can figure out what those would be. It wouldn't be many things, but it'd be important things. Like Christ died for me on the cross, and he saved me, and he called me to preach, and he called me to obedience and faith in him. Wouldn't that be the right way for us to to speak in gentleness, in humility, in wisdom? You know, I don't have the answer to everything, and I certainly don't know all the Scripture, and I'm not a great theologian. But I just know that the day I came to faith in Christ, everything changed, and all of it for the better. Here's what Paul said. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer every one. I would encourage you as you stand for truth and you speak is that you use simple Facts. And by the way, there are surveys about everything. So what do we know? Well, people who live for Christ generally live longer than people who don't. And they live happier than people who don't. Do you know that there have been surveys done about young people with all of their issues and all of their struggles in this sex-crazed world in which we live and in this world of falsehood and rebellion and in all of the things that want to pull kids away from God. But do you know what? The kids who use drugs less, the kids who have less problems with suicide, the kids who have less Problems with with sexuality are kids who know Christ. Use the facts. There are things written everywhere that are not that are not editorials that are filled with studies that show us the power of the gospel in people's lives. And using that word that's not biblical, but the word everybody wants and craves. Happiness. And people who live for Christ are generally happier than people who don't. And go back to the verse that we looked at before. Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. We're just being as God called us to be. And by the way, if somebody else makes your argument for you, uh, don't get in the way of their making their argument. I was at New Orleans Seminary years ago, a man who had taught me, but also then I became his colleague on the faculty, came in one day and the the thing that I loved about seminary more than anything else was every day after chapel, we'd go to the cafeteria and six or eight of us would sit around a round table and we'd drink a cup of coffee and talk about whatever we wanted to talk about. So you could probably say that would be the most thing I would like about seminary as well. 
So we did this, and one day my friend came in, and somebody said, well, what he had a book with him. Well, what book are you reading? Well, I'm reading a book about baptism. And he said, well, who wrote it? He said, well, a not in Baptist, and somebody who doesn't believe in baptism the way we believe in baptism. And so he said, you're going to write a review about it. Yes, I'm going to write a review. And so what are you going to say? He said, I'm not going to say much at all. I'm just going to quote this guy. He says, even though he believes in infant baptism, he makes the case that infant baptism is not taught in Scripture. So my friend, I thought one of the wisest things that I've ever heard, he said, if somebody else is making your argument for you, don't mess it up. Well, there are a lot of people who would say, you seem to be happy. What makes you happy? You seem to be joyful. It seems that your life goes well. That's a revelation to you, isn't it? But that's the way people look at us. Use their words to help them to know Christ. Number five is this. Seek obedience. Remember, the only Christ that anybody else will know is the one they seek in us. And obedience is essential for them to see Christ in us, and obedience is essential for us to please God. If you're not willing to be obedient, would you at least be willing to say to God, God, I am willing to be made willing to be obedient unto you. And when I am be obedient, when you are obedient, then we're doing what Paul said. We are, we are working together to please God, to build up the church, to help our friends know truth and to experience the truth that is in Christ. Here's what I want to ask you to do. I want to ask you to submit yourself in obedience unto God. Now, this is not a pledge to be perfect. That's not what obedience is. It is simply this, God, I want to do what you want me to do when you want me to do it. Remember that partial obedience is disobedience. God, I'll do this. This is easy to do, but I won't do this. But real obedience comes when we say to God, God, I'll do what you want me to do, but you know that I have a difficulty with all of this. Would you work in my life today? That's the commitment I want to ask you to make. For some of you, that commitment will be a first-time decision for following Christ. You will be surrendering your life to Him. You will be confessing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and your desire to live with Him. But for most of us, it will be that powerful commitment in which we take a step forward in our commitment to Christ and our being like Him. I want to challenge you to make that commitment today.
Let's pray together. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for always dealing with the things that we deal with. God, thank you for speaking to our hearts. And would you now call us to obedience and faith? Would you speak to our hearts so that it is clear that you want us to trust and obey? Would you give us the courage, the help that we need to walk to the front, to pray with the pastor, to pray at the steps, to call upon your name. We pray this in Jesus' name.